Faye, I'm so excited. I'm heading to Seattle for maternal fetal medicine. It's going to be great, but I got to remember the OBG project in my back pocket. Definitely. I think one thing that's going to be really helpful for us in terms of learning how to ultrasound is going to be their second trimester ultrasound atlas. You can use that second trimester ultrasound atlas to supplement your learning by looking at normal pictures. And then when you put that probe to the belly, you're going to see exactly what you're supposed to see. And you know that you've got the right picture because the OBG project's already got it outlined for you. The second trimester ultrasound atlas is part of their subscription process called OBG First, which if you're a chief resident, you can get free for one whole year. OBG First, in addition to the atlas, gives you a lot of other cool features such as a library to bookmark your favorite summaries from the OBG project, as well as summaries sent to your phone every single day of the latest guidelines and evidence-based medicine. If you're interested, go ahead and go on our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com to check it out. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs Over Coffee. Today, we'll be doing an espresso episode on umbilical cord gases. This is a topic that's been a little bit difficult for me because I'm always wondering how to interpret those numbers. And finally, someone sat down and gave me a very good lecture and it finally all made sense. So today, our learning objective is going to describe and interpret umbilical cord gases in light of the knowledge of fetal circulation, which was our episode last week. All right. So yeah, definitely, Faye, this is probably a really challenging topic in obstetrics. And it also is one that like you really have to know, you know, not only from a clinical sense, but cord gas analysis or the lack of it can also be used to bolster or hammer home like a litigation verdict. Exactly. Um, And so it's really important for us to have a good understanding of cord gases, how to interpret them, um, and then really be able to explain them when we're either talking to a patient or we're on the stand. Fortunately, we went through the fetal circulation lecture last week, so just as a quick reminder, umbilical vein carries oxygenated blood, and the umbilical arteries carry deoxygenated blood. That factoid is going to help you remember normal values, as those are going to be the opposite for an ABG versus a VBG on an adult. When you look at umbilical artery versus vein blood gases additionally, those two things are gonna give you two different sets of information. Remember the umbilical vein is originating right at the maternal fetal interface. So this is basically gonna be a proxy for maternal acid base status, right? So the oxygen is immediately getting offloaded, acid is immediately getting transferred over. So this is like really more than something about the fetus. This is more like the mom or the placental interface information. Arterial pH, on the other hand, has shown the blood move through the fetal body. So now you're actually getting more of a sense of the acid-base status of the baby. So when you're collecting blood gases, some people will say, you know, really the arterial pH is probably more helpful to tell you about the acid-base status. There are reasons that we'll get into a little bit about talking about when it's good to collect both to understand what's going on. But the arterial pH, again, is the one that's going to tell you more about the fetus. Faye, what are the components of a blood gas? Yeah, so let's go through the components. So we'll talk about the pH. We're going to talk about the PO2, the PCO2, as well as the base excess or deficit. 
So first of all, to talk about pH and to bring us all the way back to college and organic chemistry, pH represents the inverse log of the concentration of hydrogen ions in the circulating blood. What that means in normal English is just how acidic the blood is. In essence, more acid represents a lower pH, which represents more compromise. So a normal value for a venous pH is around 7.35, just like it is in adult blood, and the normal value for an arterial pH is around 7.28. The PO2 is the pressure of oxygen, in essence, its concentration in the fetal blood. That makes a lot of sense. And the PCO2, similarly, is the pressure or concentration of CO2 in the fetal blood. Both of these values, the PO2 and the PCO2, can give additional clues to help with non-straightforward or mixed acidosis. However, they're really of limited clinical utility, so we don't spend as much time on them. This is also a good time to make a quick plug about the use or non-use of oxygen in labor. Um, Nick and I kind of had this gripe where we still see a lot of our nurses putting oxygen onto our patients whenever they have a D-cell in labor. But remember, in most cases, maternal hemoglobin is fully saturated on room air. So unless mom has an oxygenation that is less than 95%, oxygen in this case is really not going to help. Fetal hemoglobin has a greater O2 affinity and will pull O2 across that placental circulation. So giving more oxygen to mom when maternal blood is already saturated even if you pump it up to 4,000 liters through the nasal cannula, high flow face mask, whatever it is, is not going to get the baby more oxygen. Some studies, in addition, have suggested that additional free O2 in the maternal serum may actually lead to vasospasm and cause harm. So the only exception to this is when there is a maternal oxygenation compromise or indication for maternal oxygen use. But these indications suggest that maternal hemoglobin is less than 100% saturated. All right, Nick, can you talk to me a little bit more about the base excess? Because I always feel like this is the number that I don't really get. Yeah. So depending on where you are and what your institution uses or how they really talk about this, you may hear either base excess or base deficit. And fortunately, these are just used interchangeably. They're referring to the exact same thing. To take it way back, though, in blood, acid is primarily buffered by bicarbonate ions. And so the base excess or base deficit represents how much of a difference there is between the bicarbonate ions and the hydrogen ions in order to ultimately return to a normal pH value around 7.35 in the umbilical vein or that 7.28 in the umbilical artery. An excess is more bicarb, a deficit is less bicarb. These tend to be used interchangeably because when they're reported, they're reported the same way, just an excess is reported as a negative number. So in reality, that's a deficit still. So you see a base excess of negative 12, that's the same thing as a base deficit of 12. They're again just referring to the fact that it's a negative excess in that case. Normal values of a base deficit are about four millimol per liter in both the umbilical artery and umbilical vein. More significant base deficits signifies that a metabolic acidosis has been ongoing that the process causing the insult has been more long-standing, and there's been some time to utilize bicarbonate to buffer the acid. So in this case, when you get a base excess of minus 20, then you know that's been going on for a long time. You've used a lot of bicarbonate in the serum. On the contrary, a lower base deficit would signify a respiratory acidosis. That is, the process has been acute, so there's been no time to buffer those hydrogen ions. 
So these are the times when you see that there's a big pH change, but the base deficit may only be 4 millimoles. A base deficit of 12 has been suggested as severe and thus more suggestive of metabolic acidosis overall. On our website, we'll have all of the normal values for fetal umbilical cord gases, the pH, PO2, PCO2, and the base deficit or excess. But again, primarily in your interpretation, you want to look at the pH to confirm it's an acidosis, and then look at the base excess or deficit to say, is this metabolic or respiratory? Faye, when should we get cord gases? Yeah, so I think it's a good idea to practice that technique for cord gas collection, which requires collecting a 10 to 20 centimeter doubly clamped proximally and distally cord segment. So even on routine vigorous deliveries, I will always teach my interns to get in the habit of just getting that cord segment because most of the time that cord segment is so long anyway that it's difficult to get your um, collection of cord blood. It's also difficult to really pull out that placenta when you're, you know, pulling with like 20 centimeters of cord. Mm -hmm. So cord gases really aren't recommended to be sent with delayed cord clamping. So don't send these if delayed cord clamping is part of your practice. However, collecting the cord segment can be good practice for these learning the proper technique. There's really no consensus about when to send a cord gas sample. At our institution, the general thought is if you think you need one, send one. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> what that means really is it can be helpful to set aside on just a in-case basis. So this would include things like a baby who's really non-vigorous at delivery, meaning APGARs at five minutes less than seven, category three or quote-unquote bad category two tracings, operative deliveries for non-reassuring fetal heart tracings, multiple gestations, premature infants, um, sometimes even things like meconium stained fluid or growth restriction, breech delivery, shoulder dystocia, or intrapartum fevers or choreo. And this is just a very short list. It's not, it's not exhaustive, of course, but it just shows that there could be a lot of indications for sending cord gases. Some literature has suggested that even universal arterial blood sampling at delivery may be cost-effective. The best way to learn about fetal cord gases and the numbers is really to do some practice cases. We obviously won't have time for that today in our podcast format, but definitely check out our website for some resources to practice, including um, online CREOG quizzes. And then, of course, prologues are also your very good friend. All right, Nick, let's go ahead and quickly summarize what we just talked about. All right. So again, to start, you should remember the umbilical vein carries oxygenated blood and the umbilical arteries carry deoxygenated blood. That's going to help you remember those normal values as they're going to be opposite those for an ABG versus VBG on an adult. In terms of the values to remember, again, we said the pH and the base excess or deficit are the two big things to help you interpret what is going on. The pH is the inverse log of the concentration of hydrogen ions in circulating blood or how acidic the blood is. Normal value for a venous pH is 7.35. Normal value for an arterial pH is 7.28. Base excess uh, determines how much bicarbonate ions are in the blood. So acid is buffered by bicarbonate. An excess is really more bicarb, um, and a deficit is less bicarb. And really, the numbers are reported in a negative fashion. So normal values are going to be around 4 millimoles per liter in both the umbilical artery and vein. A more significant base deficit signifies more of a metabolic acidosis and a process that has been more long-term so that there has been a chance for there to be more bicarb to balance this metabolic acidosis. A lower base deficit signifies most likely a respiratory acidosis, meaning that a process that has been acute, so there's really been no time for that buffering of the hydrogen ion. 
A base excess of 12 millimoles per liter or greater has been suggested as severe and more suggestive of metabolic acidosis. Finally, get a cord gas when you think you need it and try to practice the technique of cord segment collection on all deliveries so you instinctively know how to do it when you need to. And finally, we'll be posting some resources on our website to help you practice the interpretation of cord gases and go through a little bit more of the physiology of uh, arterial versus venous and interpreting them together. All right, so that brings us to the end of our podcast today. Once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you like today's podcast, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can also find us on social media, on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee 1, on Facebook at Creogs Over Coffee, on Instagram at Creogs Over Coffee. And also, if you want to give us some love, you can go onto Patreon and give us some support, www.patreon.com slash Creogs Over Coffee. Always check out our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com, for resources for every show. And if you have suggestions for another show or a correction to our previous shows, go ahead and send us an email at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. Finally, if you're headed to APCO Faculty Development Seminar in January in Bonita Springs, Florida, head over to Faye and I's workshop about developing a podcast for medical education. We'll see you in Bonita Springs. Mm-hmm.